Would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on this psalm, this psalm of ascent, these words from your word tonight, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who is our hope. Amen. I remember when I was growing up that it seemed like my mom and dad could solve any problem. That, uh, that whatever the situation was, whatever the struggle was, whatever the difficulty was, whether that was a broken toy or whether I wasn't feeling so well or whether you know, the car wouldn't start, somehow mom and dad would figure it out. Uh, they would take care of it. Maybe you had a similar experience when you were a child. But at some point, it occurred to you that that wasn't really true, right? At some point you realized, as great as mom and dad were, as uh, big and strong as they were, as smart as they were, as resourceful as they were, at some point you realized there were problems that mom and dad couldn't fix. Now, I'm not sure exactly when that moment came for me, uh, but I think it was the death of my great-grandfather. I I remember um, being at the funeral and seeing my mom and dad and seeing them both upset and, and I remember thinking, they, they couldn't fix this. And I remember being a little stunned by that, that there was something that was kind of out of their control. Of course, the older we get, the more we realize that as great as our parents are, none of us can fix everything. That, that, that there's no one that we can turn to time and time again in every situation and know that they're in control, that they've got it handled. Well, no one except one person, right? And that's really what this psalm is all about, this this psalm of ascent, Psalm 121. I I encourage you to take a look together with me at the psalm tonight as, uh, as we take some time to unpack these words written by the psalmist. The first verse, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, interestingly enough, the psalmist that asked this question, uh, the theologians together, we're not sure exactly what the psalmist means. Uh, let, let me explain what, what I mean by that. There, there are actually three possible meanings for this psalm. You know what? I'm, just hang on a second. There's, there's no keynote, guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> they're, they're frantically back there trying to find my slides for the screen. You don't need slides. You've got your Bibles open. We're going to go verse by verse. You don't need keynotes, so there's no keynotes. Sorry, I should have warned you about that before. Um, So where were we? Oh, yeah, so so, so the the theologians think there are three possible meanings uh, that the psalmist meant by this. Here's one possibility. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now now picture again uh, these uh, pilgrims going to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem. When you get close to Jerusalem, it's hill country. And you start to wind your way up through these hills. Now the paths, for the most part, aren't up on the hills, they're in the valleys between the hills. So picture yourself, uh, maybe uh, later in the evening or, or maybe early in the morning and, and it's not very light and you're walking among those hills and you're thinking, this is an ambush waiting to happen. Right? At, at any moment, uh, robbers or, 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 or people who meant you harm could kind of come charging down out of those hills and, and you're down in the middle of those hills, you'd be defenseless. 
And so one possibility here is what the psalmist is doing. He's picking up on that imagery, and, and he's picking up that idea that you're walking, you're looking up to the hills kind of nervously on either side, going, who's going to help me? Where's the help going to come from if, if I get ambushed right now? That's one possibility. Here's a second possibility, that, that the, the psalmist isn't talking about the hills around Jerusalem, but is talking about the high places, in other words, we know that on some of the highest places in Israel, some of the highest hills, uh, some, of the, some of the people had built altars there, and not all of those altars were to the true God. And so the image here is of the psalmist looking to those high places, uh, places where idols were worshipped, and saying, I'm looking to those places, is that where my help's going to come from? Do I really believe that those idols could somehow help me? But there's a third possibility. And the third possibility is that the psalmist is looking to the highest hill, the holy hill, the, the hill on which the temple is, on which God resides. And he's saying, even in the midst of trouble, I'm looking up to that hill. Where's my help going to come from? Now, the interesting thing is, no matter which of those three things the psalmist meant, the answer is the same, isn't it? The answer is, my help's coming from God. God is the one that I'm going to put my trust in. He is the one that I'm going to put my hope in. And, and verse 2 unpacks that. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, here's my question for you. I want you to think for a moment tonight. Where does your help come from? What's the, the, the thing that you look to for help? Martin Luther, in his explanation for the first commandment, said this. He says, um, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I want to think about that last one with you for a moment. Trust in God above all things. Are there things that you put your trust in, maybe not more than God, but maybe instead of God? How about your bank account? Do you take a look at your checking account balance or uh, your 401k? Wait, don't look at your 401k right now. But, but do you take a look at your finances and, and see that God has blessed you and go, okay, I don't have to worry, I'm going to be fine. You know, the market's taking a little downturn, but, uh, but I'm still, I'm going to be fine. Is it, is it in our finances? And, and by the way, here's the way that you know whether you put too much trust in it. When you look at your bank account balance and it isn't what you want it to be, do you get this fear or this chill and go, I don't know how I'm going to be okay? Or, or maybe it isn't that. Maybe it's some other material thing. Maybe uh, it's your house or, or maybe it's your car or, or whatever it is. Are there certain things that, that you put your trust in, your confidence in, and, and if those things are taken away, if something goes wrong with those things, if the transmission doesn't work or, or whatever it is, all of a sudden, there's fear. That's how you know that maybe you're putting your trust in something too much. Luther encourages us to put our fear, our love, and our trust in God alone. And the psalmist tells us why, that that's, why that's true. He says, my help comes from the Lord, and the reason I put my trust in him, he says, is because he's the one who made heaven and earth. He created all this stuff. He created me. Basically, what the psalmist is saying is, if God can create this universe, 
then the universe is in his hands. Then, then he's in control. And anything short of that, anything short of the creator of the universe, I'm not going to put my trust in. It's why the Bible begins with those words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a claim for the authority and the trustworthiness of God. He goes on in the next verse, the psalmist does to say this. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. There's two images here that he uses to assure us that we are in God's hands. And the first one is, he will not let your foot be moved. We would say it this way. He's not going to let you slip and fall. Some of you guys know that uh, last August I had had rotator cuff surgery, which means I had to you know, walk around in a sling for six weeks and uh, uh, learn to do all kinds of things with my left hand that I never imagined myself doing with my left hand instead of my right hand and, and all that kind of stuff. But did you know why I had to have that done? Because about this time last year, actually it was near the end of February, we had one of those days where it got colder than I thought and didn't realize that that driveway that looked dry wasn't dry, that there was ice on that driveway. And I started to walk to check the mail, took that first step, and boom, my foot went right out from under me. Now, maybe in my younger days, I could have balanced and caught myself, but I didn't. And I landed right on my shoulder, and that meant surgery eventually. The psalmist is saying, God's not going to let that happen to us. Not literally slipping and falling on the ice, that does still happen to us. But what he's saying to us about the important things in our lives, as we, as we step out in faith, I mean, picture Peter taking the step out of the boat, you know, when Jesus says, come, when he says, if you're going to walk on the water, let me do it too, and he says, come. Or, or when God challenges you to, to share your faith with a coworker, or, or, or tithe when you've never tithed before, whatever that step of faith is, God's promise is that when you take that step of faith, he is not going to let you slip and fall. He's not going to let your foot be moved. And then it says this. It says that, that he will not, he who keeps you will not slumber. In fact, it says in the verse, next verse then, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now the image here is uh, not just of the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, but, but those pilgrimages were really uh, supposed to be symbols of the larger pil pilgrimage that the children of Israel had made from Egypt to the promised land. And do you remember that story, how God led them out of Egypt, um, and uh, they went through the Dead Sea, and then God led them through the wilderness to the promised land, and, and do you remember how God did that? It says that there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So it didn't matter whether it was the middle of the day or the middle of the night. They could always look to where that tabernacle was and they could see that God was there with them. That God never slumbered. He never slept. And as they wandered through that wilderness, he led them and he was with them every step of the way. And that's the image here that God is promising the psalmist is saying that God will never slumber or sleep. He is always there for us. And then it says this. It says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I was blessed to go with one of our mission teams here, one of our short-term mission teams. By the way, we have three of those teams uh, going out this year. One's going to Bolivia, uh, one is going to Estonia, and one is going to Honduras. And we're really excited. It's been a while since we've had three teams going in the same year, and we're excited to see that happening this year. 
Uh, but I, I was privileged to go with one of our mission teams that was going to Macau. Um, now, if you don't know where Macau is, it's, uh, it's kind of across the South China Sea uh, from Hong Kong, and, and, it's, and it's kind of attached to the Chinese mainland like Hong Kong is. And, uh, and Macau's known for a couple of things. It's known, first of all, for its casinos. It's kind of the, the, the Las Vegas of the, of the, the Far East, okay? Um, it, it's also known for being one of the densest places population-wise on the face of the earth. There is no such thing as social distancing in Macau. There are so many people crammed in such a small area. Uh, but here's the third thing it's known for, at, at least during the summer, and, and that is that the temperature and the humidity is oppressive. I mean, it's like nothing I've ever experienced. And I lived in St. Louis for a couple of summers while we were at seminary. And, and we were there, of course, in the summer, in one of the hottest times of the year. And the temperatures during the day got off to about 100 with 95% humidity. Now, what we were doing there is we were working with a Concordia English school, and, and we were actually doing a vacation Bible school uh, for children there in the park that was right in the middle of the downtown area of Macau. And, uh, and so every day we'd gather these kids together there in the park, and, and we did vacation Bible school with them. And my job was music. Uh, so I brought my guitar, and um, I tried to make it as interactive as I could. I had the kids, you know, running around to different songs and acting out different songs and playing different instruments. We brought a bunch of wooden flutes with, and they were playing them. And then the next class would play them again. We didn't sanitize them in between now that I think about it. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but so, so it was pretty active. Well, here's, here's what would happen to me. I mean, you imagine it's 100 degrees, 95% humidity, literally I was soaked by the end. I mean, my T-shirt, you could have wrung it out. My pants were dark from sweat. And now, when we got done, we packed everything out, and we had to carry everything with us and walk about a mile back to where we were staying. So the first day, I figured out something really cool. Darlene's wife, Craig, was with on that trip. And uh, I don't know if you know Craig, but 6'2", maybe? 6'3"? Um, big guy. So we're walking back towards where we're staying at this Baptist retreat center, and the sun is like right up there, and it's just beating down on us. And I figured out, if I walked on this side of Craig, <laughs> it felt pretty good. <laughs> the psalmist says, the Lord is the shade at your right hand. Think about that image, that, that, that the Lord is the one who walks beside us. He's the one that provides the shade for us to protect us. And, and then the psalmist unpacks that a little, more, a little more. He says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And, and again, what we think he's talking about here is both physical and emotional harm. He's talking about the physical harm. He's talking about the sun striking you by day. You know, that image, you know that if you're out in the sun too long, you'll get sunstroke, and if you don't wear sunscreen, you'll get sunburn and, and all that kind of stuff. So the image there is of the sun striking you by day. It's talking about physical harm, that, that God will protect you from physical harm. Um, and then it says, nor the moon by night. And hey, what do we call someone who's maybe not quite all there upstairs? We call them loony, right? 
kind of that, that image. There, there used to be superstitions that believed that the full moon, you know, caused people to kind of lose their minds and stuff like that. In fact, if you talk to nurses, they'll still tell you full moon nights are crazy at hospitals, right? So the image here is that what he's saying is that God only not, not only protects you physically, the sun by day, but, but emotionally, mentally, the, or nor the moon by night, that, that God is going to take care of you physically and emotionally as well. And then he says this, the Lord will keep you, and by the way, notice what it says. He says it will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, I think it's significant that he doesn't say the Lord will keep you from all harm. He says he will keep you from all evil. Remember the story of Job? And when Satan comes to God and, and he wants to kind of have his way with Job. And, and at first God says, sure, go ahead, but leave Job alone. And so Satan messes with the circumstances of Job's life. And, and, uh, but still Job uh, doesn't turn his back on God. So Satan comes back to God and he says, well, okay, physically he's fine though. You, you wouldn't let me touch him physically. And God says, okay, well, you can harm him physically, but remember what the restriction was? But you can't take his life. Folks, there are times that God does, love, does allow difficulties in our lives. The, the, the fact that the psalmist is confessing that, that God is going to take care of us, he's not going to let our foot slip, uh, he's going to be the shade by our right hand, uh, he's, he's, he's going to keep us from physical harm and emotional harm. It's like the psalmist is saying, but that doesn't mean that God won't let some difficult things happen in your life couldn't help but thinking of Romans, Romans chapter 5, where, where Paul says it this way. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Folks, the fact that, that our help comes from the Lord doesn't mean that sometimes the Lord won't let difficulties and struggles happen in our lives. But he makes a promise that he never wastes our suffering. He never wastes our struggles. But he uses those struggles to ultimately produce hope in our lives. And that hope can be a hope to others. It finally, it ends with this verse. It says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These words are, by the way, very similar to some other words found in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy um, when God is making a promise to his people. And he says this, you will be blessed when you go out and when you come in. Now again, just like I think the psalmist kind of began with a phrase that could have a couple of different meanings, I think he ends with a phrase that we can take two different ways. Well, one of the ways we could take it is this promise from God that again, in our daily life, when we get up in the morning and when we leave the house to head about whatever our day has in store for us, and when we head back to that house at the end of the day, tired and ready to rest, that in both of those cases, the Lord has promised he's going to keep us. He's going to be with us. He's going to be there for us. He's going to be our protector. But I think there's a second meaning here as well. Do you guys know who the comedian Stephen Wright is? 
Stephen Wright is one of my favorite comedians. He, he, he just says all these weird, bizarre things, and he says it just like totally monotone. He doesn't really react very much. And, and he just says these things, and they're hilarious. One of my favorite things is Stephen Wright says this. He goes, two babies are born in the same hospital, and they end up lying next to each other in the nursery. And by some strange coincidence, 86 years later, both of them near death, they end up in two beds next to each other at the same hospital. And one turns to the other and says, so what'd you think? That's Stephen Wright's comedy. You're going out and you're coming in. God was there with you at the moment of your birth. When the moment uh, that you cried that first cry and took your first breath. And he promises he will be with you at the very end. When you take your last breath, he will keep you. You are his child. Amen.